Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Time to go to Knoxville. That's where we stop in first with the Tennessee Volunteers. VolQuest Power Hour is here each and every Friday. We love having Brent Hubs and Austin Price on the show from VolQuest.com. The very best in coverage for the University of Tennessee. And they're practicing. They're getting after it. Guys, hope you're doing well. Doing well. Great, guys. You guys How are, are well? you? We are, we are great. Football is back. We, Chad and I just had a big discussion about football being back and how it all feels normal and right. Uh, from By the, the way, you know it's back when you see our guys out in front yeah, of the I facility. Know. Yes. Uh, actually out there, not uh, on the farm picking beans. Austin <laughs> doesn't have a Christmas tree behind him. You know football season. This gets me excited. Football season's here when we get to see the guys in front of the indoor facility. Brent, uh, you and Austin uh, have, have definitely observed practice, and you guys have great coverage at VolQuest. I, I just want to start with the start of the Hypel era on the practice field for fall camp. Uh, and Austin, chime in too after Brent, if you don't mind. What what have been just the noticeable changes about the flow of practice or, or anything involving Heupel, uh, pace of play? I'm, I'm just curious about how he structures a normal day at Tennessee. Well, it's fast, as you would imagine. You know, they go fast and uh, offensively, and as a result of that, the defense has to go fast. But, you know, I think there's two things that stand out to me in terms of watching them the first three days. One, uh, there's hard coaching, uh, there's stern coaching. Guys have to go back and redo things in the line, but there's also some encouragement. It, you're not just getting beat up where when you leave the practice field, you feel like you accomplished nothing in a positive fashion. So uh, there, there's, as Coach Heupel says, he tries to be real with them. I, I think that realness means encouragement as well as criticism and, and making you redo things. I think the other thing that stands out to me, um, Austin, is that th this team – their retention from the spring was pretty good. Uh, this is You don't feel like there's a lot of guys who are looking around going, okay, what do we do? Where do I line up? What's next? Or, or what's that call mean? That, that's not to say they're perfect. There's certainly some confusion. But you don't feel like there's a, a lot of guys who are kind of lost figuring, their, figuring out their way right now. I think this team has put in a lot of work this summer and had a lot of retention. Yeah, a lot of good retention. And, and just I think the kind of the building up of the program that Coach Heupel – you know, has done the first six months as far as building the confidence up in the kids. I think that's the biggest reason why, you know, you've seen that retention. There's a buy-in from them. Uh, I think that, you know, Tyler Barron spoke about it today. And now, again, it's easy to nitpick and point out that, you know, last year wasn't the greatest if you're anybody that was on that team. But, you know, he talked about how players were just making it through a year ago, just making it through. And now guys are working to improve and spending extra time on their crafts. And Brent, you talked about this during our tuna drill about Byron Young and Tyler Barron and how much Tyler Barron, even though he's just a sophomore, um, has spent 45 minutes, an hour, working on technique with Byron Young and, and doing the little things that, you know, uh, a leader does for those guys that are still trying to figure things out, still trying to, to build themselves up inside the football program. So I do think there's just a level of buy-in um, that, that, you know, gives this team a chance. They're still really thin in certain spots. Still got to figure out who their quarterback is. It doesn't really matter what that happens if they don't figure that out. But uh, I do think that the, the camaraderie and chemistry is definitely there. Well, and uh, a word that comes to mind also for, for you guys and the job you're doing is access. There's a lot more access at practice. There's a lot more access to coaches and, and players under Josh Heupel's regime. So, Brent, I'll start with you on this one. What's it been like watching an hour of practice as opposed to, to 10 or 15 minutes to start this camp? Well, yeah, it, I mean, it's been great. We enjoyed two days of it. Today, we did not get to watch an hour. Um, and I think you're going to see uh, that curtailed down to a, a much more likely 20, you know, 25 minutes, maybe a 30-minute deal here and there uh, with practice. But 
Josh Heupel is going to let his assistant coaches talk all year long. Uh, he's going to let players talk all, all year long. I think you're going to hear um, from from Tennessee probably Monday through Thursday on a game week. Uh, and I think you're going to hear from players. You're going to hear from coaches. You're going to hear from the head coach a couple of times. I think that Josh Heupel understands that this is a fan base looking to gravitate to anything. We saw that in baseball. Uh, that there are a lot of Tennessee fans who aren't baseball fans who were baseball fans in spring because they were winning. And they wanted something to hang their hat on. And, and Tony Vitello was pretty open about his program. And I think Josh Heupel says, you know what? We need to sell Tennessee, not just to recruits, but we need to sell it to the Tennessee fans and try to get some Tennessee fans back excited about things. There's going to be growing pains. This team's not going to win. Uh, you know, they're not going to p- compete for the Eastern Division. But I think because of where they are, Josh Heupel feels like he needs to let the fans have a better feel and understanding of his program. So you'll see a lot of interviews. I don't know how much practice access is going to you know, stay. It's not going to stay at what it's been the last two days because it was cut today. But you are going to f- have a better feel for this program because you're going to be able to talk to more people. Well, and you, and you go back, you know, Chad, to, you know, Rick Barnes' most successful basketball team. What, what did they all remember? They remember Admiral and, 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 and Grant and the peanut butter and jelly and, you know, and, and all the kids on that team. Now, it is a little e- bit easier with basketball. There's less kids to know. And they're not wearing a helmet. So you can always see their face. You can see their fa- facial expression when things are bad, good, indifferent, whatever. With football, it's a little bit different because they have the helmet on. But the kids have shown personality over here. And, and honestly, again, I, he wants no credit. He, he wants no credit. And, and has told me to stop mentioning his name and giving him credit for things. He likes to be in the shadows. But Bill Martin, Tennessee's SID, is not telling the kids what to say, not giving them bullet points. He's telling them to be themselves. They're showing personality. They're talking. They're way more engaging than they've ever been. And, again, when you throw that in with the, you know, the, the number of kids that we're getting to talk to and the number of coaches we're getting to talk to, I mean, Mike Eckler, he, he's a special in his own right, saying, you know, farting a skillet today and, and talking about days of thunder and all that stuff. But when you talk about the players and what they're talking about and, and just kind of the, the engagements you get with them, um, you know, Tennessee sports information department and their head coach have really backed this. And, and, it, and it's been nice to see. And I think as long as we don't have to go zoom, um, you know, then I think this will continue. Well, and one more hypo observation I wanted to ask you guys about, and uh, you were talking about the positivity with him where every interaction he kind of leaves it positive with players and they feel like they're leaving the practice field having accomplished something, which maybe wasn't always the case uh, with Jeremy Pruitt and his coaches. Uh, I watched the mic'd up thing that Tennessee put out on Instagram and on Twitter with Josh Heupel. Uh, He's not all positive. You know, there was a lot of teaching that was going on and he got on the team twice saying, we're not going to walk around here. Let's do that again. When he called him into midfield at the end of a practice, and they in fact did it twice where they had to sprint back in. Um, he still has a sense about him, Brent, that even when he's getting on his team, it seems nice, just with the tone of Josh Heupel's voice. But uh, there is some intensity there with Heupel. I'm curious if you guys saw any more of that at practice. Well, I think you know, being nice and positive reinforcing some guys when they do things well, that doesn't mean everybody's holding hands, singing Kumbaya, and playing tiddlywinks. I mean, it's football. And Josh Heupel is a hell of a competitor. And this is a guy who played at the highest level in college football in the Power Five ranks at Oklahoma. He's coached as an assistant, as a head coach. He's been in big ball games. Uh, He's competitive as as can be and wants to win. So it's not a situation where, you know, everybody's great. Hey, you tried really hard. We'll give you your participation ribbon when you walk off the practice field today. That's not what they're doing. I think he feels like this team, when he inherited them and talked to them, They needed more camaraderie. They needed a little more positive reinforcement from where they were. Part of that's the previous staff's mentality. I think part of that camaraderie was the fact that from a COVID standpoint, you were never around your teammate off the practice field. And so I think that's been part of what Josh Heupel is about. You will see, and and the kids will see, as Paul Camp progresses, there, there there will be more and more of Josh Heupel upset, angry, type deal the thing he is about that really you see this from all of the coaches austin it's not just yelling to yell everybody who's listening to this that's played sports has had that one coach that he just yells for the sole purpose of yelling he's not really teaching you anything it's just he's getting on you and yelling there's always a there's always a message 
whether it's positive or negative that we've seen in, the, in our practice field observations being out there, there's always a coaching message, whether it's delivered positively or negatively. It's not just yelling to yell. It's not just patting somebody on the rear end just to say, hey, some people are watching. Let me be positive with somebody. It's very real. It is very real. And you're right. And if anybody would know anything about tiddlywinks, it would be Brent Hubbs. He's a hell of a tiddlywink player. Um, you know, I, he just is real. I mean, he, he you know he comes up to Brent on the Spraxfield. Today, he walked by me, walked by other media guys. And he's just it, – it's not forced. It, it's just kind of like, you know, you know, what's up? You know, I mean, you know, Coach Heupel's not a, a, against a good butt slap if need be. I mean, like, he just – he loves – he loves dealing with people. I, he's very engaging. You watch him interact with the former players that come to practice. You watch him interact with the current players, the support staff, the media guys. And it's easy to see why the kids and recruits, again, for a guy that came in that was talked about being a weak recruiter, I found it to be anything but that. He's put a ton of time and effort into recruiting. Uh, now, maybe they're not having the success that – he would like just because, you know, they're having to deal with some outside issues with the, you know, the investigation still hanging over their head and that black cloud. But his engaging personality has been way more than I thought it would be when they hired him. And, uh, you know, I can see why his players, his support staff, all those people love just to be around him and love uh, working and playing for him. Brent Hubbs and Austin Price with the VolQuest Power Hour here on OutKick 360. Uh, uh, it's not all about gambling here, but I, I'm I'm curious how you guys would handicap the quarterback race right now. It's it it, it feels like Joe Milton is the guy, just um, thirty thousand foot view. However, if there's an outside bet to be made, Brent, I'll start with you. As we just set expectations here, as you observe things, first, do you notice a clear best quarterback on the field when you watch these guys play and practice? And number two, where is Harrison Bailey in the mix here? Well, I, I don't think there's a clear, this guy's the best guy. I think when you look at physical tools, Joe Milton's got the most physical tools. There's no question about that. The guy can run. He's got a cannon of an arm. He's big. Um, all those things, you know, are, are what you're looking for physically. Um, you know, he can do things that Harrison Bailey can't do with his legs. Um, there, there's no doubt about that. Hendon Hooker, uh, who nobody talks about, who I think's in this race as well, um, can do things with his legs one of the things that Alex Golish um, and Joey Halsley, the, the quarterback's coach, talk about, when they talk about trying to decide who the quarterback's going to be, it's about processing. It's about processing two ways. One, it's about getting fast and getting lined up, getting everybody lined up, getting it executed, you know, and called the right way. And then the other part is how quickly can you process once the ball is snapped? Because here's the thing. In this offense, if you go and look at it, they create a lot of bust on the defensive side of the ball. But in doing so, there's also some offensive bust. So how quickly can you recognize, hey, I've got a problem here when the ball snap. I got to get rid of the ball because th this guy's unblocked because of something we're doing here and, and it's created. So that's the part of this competition that's really hard to handicap from an observing standpoint when you watch routes versus air, one-on-ones. It's hard for me to sit here and go, that guy's processing it the best because that's going to be a big factor in, in who wins this quarterback battle. From a physical standpoint, given the way the coaches have gushed, Austin, it feels like they really like Joe Milton. The question is, can he do the middle side of it? Yeah, I mean, it just boils down to I, 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 what I've said for the last few weeks. I'm not sure I would hitch my wagon to anybody just yet. I mean, like, because Milton's got to prove he can handle the middle side. Harrison Bailey's got to prove he can be more consistent. Uh, Hendon Hooker's got to prove that he can make a, a, a play vertically down the field and not just check down. And, and, you know, I do think that what you saw in the spring, because there are no contact jerseys, that hurts Hendon Hooker. Because I think yeah. part of his game is his elusiveness and ability to run around. So, you know, in fall camp, do they do they let him do his thing? Because, I mean, I, again, like when, when Josh Dobbs was in a no-contact jersey, no one knew how good he was. And then he got out there and was avoiding, you know, defenders and making people miss and doing his thing. And all of a sudden, he was a lot better than what he was on the practice field in that no-contact jersey. So, like, I, I think a lot of that can go into this. But it's, it sure sounds like, Brent, they would like to come to some type of decision and, and at least dwindle this thing down to a couple of guys, you know, by, you know, the 20th of August.
Well, you got a scrimmage next Thursday night, and I think that's the I think that's the separator. I, I think coming out of that scrimmage, they're going to try to keep it as somewhat even as they can, give everybody an opportunity. I think coming out of that scrimmage, heading into that Monday practice after the Thursday scrimmage, you're going to see them. They won't announce it, but I think Tennessee will have you know two quarterbacks that are duking it out for the starting job. That's not to say the three and the four won't get reps. They're not going to get the equal type reps that they're getting right now. I, I think that Alex Golish uh, and Josh Heupel both made that clear when they met the media this week. You, you look at receiver for Tennessee, and it's, it's a pretty good spot that they're in, uh, especially with some speed at that position group. But immediately you're going to go to Valus Jones Jr., Jalen Hyatt as the top two guys. Who has emerged as maybe a three, four, five option for Tennessee at receiver uh, that you've seen so far in practice? And Austin, let's start with you on this one. I'll tell you who's emerged. That bird that Brent's made mad over there to the left of him <laughs> that lives in that tree outside the, outside the practice facility. Um, you know, I, I just think Tennessee's deeper receiver. I mean, you got Jalen Hyatt and Bayless Jones. And, but, I mean, you look at Cedric Tillman. You look at, at Javante Payton. See, I think Javante Payton's going to help this football team a lot as long as he can stay healthy. He can run. He's smooth. He's got experience. That goes a long way. Um, Jimmy Calloway, Jimmy Holiday have both really had uh, strong starts to fall camp. And, and thinking back, Callaway, who was able to take contact in the spring, he's had a really you know strong run since this staff got here. Um, you know, Anderson Kobe, someone who I think is going to help this team on the field. You know, Walker Merrill, another kid, if he can stay healthy, you know, that's that's the biggest thing about him is he's just kind of stayed injured a lot. If he can stay healthy, I think can help this football team. To me, Tennessee is that, that wide receiver is that one position, Chad, and I think Brent will agree. Tennessee can have a, a, an injury or two, and it wouldn't affect them I, a, a whole lot. Whereas, like, if they have the wrong kind of injury on an offensive line or linebacker, it could be, you know, decimating. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. By the way, I'm surprised that the bird bothers you. I guess it's some of those private exclusive golf clubs you play at. They make the birds <laughs> go away or what's the deal there? I'm not sure, but – um, this is as close as I get to nature on the golf course is with a bird in the background, Austin. So I'm, I'm sorry that's been a distraction for you dur during this power hour here. Uh, when you talk about the wide receivers, I agree with you 100%. I, I do think that is a position they can deal with an ankle sprain for a couple of weeks and, and can mask that. Uh, other positions, I'm not sure they can. Tight end is, is one with Austin Pope being gone. Um, you know, Miles Campbell's a freshman that's going to have to play a whole lot of football, in, in my opinion. Uh, but wide receiver, they got a little more depth. Do they have six guys, five guys that Josh Heupel says, man, they're perfect fits for my system? I don't know about that. But when I look at the the, the Central Florida stats and I look at what happened at Missouri, when, when you got five guys at Central Florida last year who averaged 13 and a half yards a catch, not all those guys were perfect fits for the system. But But the system works for you to create production. So I'll be surprised if that group is not productive even if they're not from the measurables or the speed factor, exactly what Josh Heupel is looking for in his recruiting profile. I, I want to ask about two big guys. And uh, Brent, I want you to take one. Austin, I want you to take the other. Darnell Wright and D. Beckwith, two different positions, but two guys I want to know more about. Brent, let's start with Darnell Wright. For whatever reason, it has not worked out to the extent you would think a five-star number one tackle in America would work out at Tennessee. But he is getting reps right now at left tackle. What have you seen from him so far? And then, Austin, I want you to take the big running back, D. Beckwith. Well, let's start with Darnell Wright's arrival at Tennessee, okay? Um, he arrived heavy, okay? He was, I mean, he was heavy, and he played heavy last year. He's a guy who weighed almost 350 pounds last year. That's tough to move at the tackle position um, a year ago. And I think that part of his issue has been some health and not being in shape, which has worked against him uh, since he's been at Tennessee. He's lighter now than he's ever been. He's moving better than he's ever been. His adjustment right now is everything's opposite of what it's been uh, in terms of hand placement, steps, and all those things because he's never worked at left tackle before. So we'll see how that adjustment goes. Scrimmages will be big for him. It gets real for him now that they're putting on pads. It turns totally different because his physical skills should be able to show up and help him. And, and Austin, I think he'll be more physical because he's lighter, because I think he's going to move that much better. 
he looks much better than even when we went and saw him in high school and, and he committed to Tennessee. He, he, his body looks more like what you want a tackle to look like. Yeah, I mean, this the, the strength staff, you know, for the first time ever, I don't think we've played up a strength staff, uh, you know. and, and Best you know, summer ever. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I mean, like, if you look at the guys that have put on 20 or 30 pounds, then guys like Darnell Wright and Aubrey Solomon. Aubrey Solomon last year weighed, like, I won't say worried 400 pounds, but, I mean, he wasn't too far off of that. He was huge, and he looks really good. Now, does he help this football team? We'll see, but he looks much better, looks much healthier. Same thing with Darnell Wright. Um, I need to get on whatever plan they're on. Um, I just <laughs> come over here and run. Um, you know, but, like, you know, at the end of the day, Darnell Wright, I think, will get it because he did play left tackle in high school. So it's just about relearning things because for the first for the last two years, he's been nothing but the right side. You know, they hadn't played him at the left at all. And so I do think this is a bit of an eye-opener. Uh, as for D. Beckwith, D. Beckwith, to me, much like the quarterbacks, you're not going to keep all those guys. At some point, somebody's going to leave. I mean, the law of average just tells you that. Same thing with the running backs. At some point, somebody's going to leave that room. Is it Lenith Whitehead? Is it T. Hodge? Is it D. Beckwith? I mean, who, they have a lot of bodies in that room. You just wonder who is the person that moves around Whitehead's got, you know, I guess uh, an existence on defense from his high school days. You know, D played it a little bit. I think could play defense, could play tight end. Um, you know, he's too too good of an athlete to have him just, you know, bottled up over there, you know, not able to get on the field. When you look at uh, defensively for Tennessee right now, guys, um, the transfers – and where they are on the depth chart. Brent, I'll start with you on this one. Who has stood out? Because we've talked a lot about those guys needing to be a part of this, needing to be productive if Tennessee was going to get anything done on defense. What have you seen from them first three days of fall camp? Well, I think they're all going to play, and they're all going to be in the rotation. Uh, whether they're the starter or not, those two defensive linemen are going to play. They're going to have to play. When uh, you talk about DeJon Terry, you talk about uh, Caleb Tremblay, both those guys are going to be a factor. I mean, look, no knock to the guys who left, but I think Tennessee's upgraded themselves there uh, with those two guys. Now, are they dominating all conference players? I'm not saying that, but I think those guys are going to play with the kind of intensity and effort that Rodney Garner is looking for. I think that's why he went out and got those two guys to come play for him. So whether they start or not, they're going to be in the rotation. It's hard to say, boy, that guy looks great as an interior defensive lineman without pads on. Okay, now both those guys are in shape. I think they move pretty well, but but we'll see what the returns are when, when they really start hitting people. You know, at the linebacker level, you know, Mitchell, I think, to me, he's a starter at linebacker. Now, they've not named him there, but I think from a talent production standpoint, what he did at Texas, it's hard for me to sit here and say he's not going to be one of their starting linebackers. I think he is a huge upgrade to a room uh, that was really struggling in the spring just with numbers. Jeremy Banks was out. Roman Harrison was out. Harrison's now playing on the defensive line. They just did not have enough numbers at linebacker. So Mitchell steps in and has a chance. I think with what we've seen thus far, which, again, is little to no contact because they just put on shoulder pads today, you're, you're always you're, your eye is going to the skill guys. What receiver looks better? What DB does this? I like Brandon Turnage. I do. I mean, he, he's got to learn this system. I think this system is easier and simpler to learn than, than what he was at at Alabama. But Austin, from a physical gift standpoint, I don't think there's any doubt that guy is going to have a major say at corner. I like what he's shown uh, through the first three days of practice. He's made a couple plays. He's had some tight coverage. He's a guy with a lot of confidence in his skills. Yeah, it's just about, you know, getting back out there. You know, he didn't really do anything for a couple of months. So getting back in, in football shape, uh, learning the system, understanding how they want to do things here, which is different than what they did things at Alabama. So, um, 100%. I think he's just got to continue to get his feet under him. But you can see the the raw athletic ability. I'm interested to see kind of where they are at, at nickel. Theo Jackson is kind of that guy right now. You know, I, I'm not sure. I think he's more of a safety than he is a nickel. Um, you know, so, I, you know, you, you look at, you know, can Turnage play there? Could Kamal Haddon play there? Um, once he kind of gets past whatever little issue he's had, it's had him on working on the side the last couple of days. So, um, you know, these newcomers, especially on the defensive side of the ball, Tennessee's going to need them to play, play a lot, and be effective if Tennessee's defense is going to, uh, you know, be much improved from where they were at in the spring, which they should be. I mean, there's a, you can only go up from where we saw in the spring. 
It's been a big week for Tennessee football at the start of fall camp, but recruiting never stops. Austin, three commitments this week, starting with the biggest of the Hypel era uh, to start the week. What can you tell us about the three new additions to this class? Well, you know, a huge addition with Addison Nichols. Um, you know, you look at him, you look at Caleb Perry, and then, you know, Chaz Nimrod, uh, the, the the receiver from Arkansas. Um, but, but Addison Nichols, you know, again, I, and I, I was by Long's Drugstore yesterday, and I saw Miss Ruthie, and I explained to her, I showed a picture of her. I said, do you know this kid? And she goes, oh, yeah, he comes in here with his grandparents all the time. You know, because if you go to, if you've ever been to Knoxville and you go to Long's Drugstore, which is a little soda fountain pharmacy, not too far from campus, Miss Ruthie's in there. She's worked in there for years. Tennessee had to land that kid. They did do a really good job down the stretch to land that kid. And, um, you know, uh, that to me is, is a big deal because Tennessee along the offensive line, they're going to have to replace some people going forward. They need players like Addison Nichols to go along with, you know, Mo Clipper, who I think is a really underrated piece along the offensive line. You know, Tennessee was impressed with, with Nimrod, the, the, you know, the receiver from, you know, Benville, Arkansas. He came in and came, uh, did a personal workout for uh, the staff. Um, last week, uh, ran four or five, um, and, and was really good, you know, along, you know, uh, in his workout for coach Burns. So, um, you know, Tennessee pulled the trigger and offered him and, uh, you know, he returned the favor by committing, uh, yesterday. Brent Hubs and Austin Price, VolQuest.com, the website where, uh, Brent and Austin already have a video up, uh, recapping practice number three, much more coverage at the site as well. Uh, and if you missed a portion of this, uh, they do a great job and do us a favor. They post this in the in the message board as well as the front page. You can find that there each and every Friday. Guys, a uh, quick visit today because we're about to head out to Titans practice, but football is back, and that is a great thing across the great state of Tennessee. Yeah, you, you guys talked about you, you guys talked about that coach that Yale's just a Yale. You yeah. guys are getting ready to go to your team member that yells just to yell. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be getting after it here in about 30 seconds. Hey, Brent, uh, yell at that bird. Get that bird away from you. All right. We'll do our best to see if we can. I mean, they ought to know that it's out kick, right? The bird's got to shut up for 30 minutes because it's out quick, right? <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm really more concerned about my right ear now because I didn't hear the bird once the whole time. Oh, really? <laughs> so maybe I'm going deaf. So I thought I thought it was great, Brent. Whatever you're doing, awesome. keep it up. Didn't hear a bird once. <laughs> All right, guys. Y'all have a good one. Thanks, Appreciate guys. You. See you guys. Brent Hubs and Austin Price, VolQuest.com and the VolQuest Power Hour. Coming up in literally 60 seconds, Paul Koharski. We'll go live to Titans training camp where we have Bud Dupree making his debut in a Titans practice uniform. He was on the field today. We'll get the very latest there, plus Caleb Farley, Ryan Tannehill on Pushing the Envelope, and much more. It's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Outkick 360's Daily Parlay with FanDuel.com. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Chad Withrow, your honor. Parlay is to me, came into today, limping in a bit. <laughs> Number of losses in a row with our daily uh, parlay and thought, you know, let's just go with uh, good odds, maybe a two-leg parlay. No. Started to write one up, and I said, you know what, screw it. We go big on this show, and that's what I did once again. So here it is, this weekend's parlay. Some of this game's taking course over the weekend. A's money line, huge favorite tonight against the Rangers. Then we're going USA, USA. Women to win against Japan, to win a gold medal, big-time favorite. And uh, the USA men to beat France, get that revenge, yep. win the gold medal. Then I'm going to Hutton Sport. By the way, USA Live tonight. Yeah, it's on NBC yep. Live. Yeah, that, the USA men will be on NBC Live. Sorry, I thought you were saying it was on the sorry, USA sorry, Network. Sorry, yeah. I know what you're saying now. Uh, Derek Lewis, UFC, to win, and he is uh, an underdog. He's an underdog, but... I yeah. go to Hutton for my UFC knowledge, and He's going to win by knockout. Play. He's going to win by knockout against uh, Cyril Gaon. So uh, take that. That's tomorrow night, and uh, that's the main event for the UFC pay-per-view, which you can bet at FanDuel.com slash OK360. Time for our training camp report with Paul Koharski. Uh, as we jump right into it, Paul, hope you're doing well as practice wraps up. How was Bud Dupree today in his debut? 
well, you know, he, he did a little bit more than I would have expected him to do on, uh, on first day in from a uh, ACL repair. A um, little bit more uh, bending, uh, twisting, uh, edging, I, I would say. Um, than than I would have expected on the first day from uh, from an outside linebacker. So I think that's encouraging. Uh, talked really about uh, wanting to get his mental game right more than anything. So it doesn't seem particularly concerned. Said uh, he'll be mentally and physically ready for opening day, and uh, he'll put it all on the team then. So it'll be up to uh, Titans uh, physicians, uh, trainers, strength coaches, and, and Mike Vrabel to set him free. Uh, to, to play on September 12th against Arizona. Um, again, just like like we said with Farley a couple days ago, uh, you know him being off the off PUP and ready to go for, for Farley it was NFI, but ready to go this early is awfully good sign. Even though it'll be a while before we see him in team periods for sure. Um, you know to get him out there doing something, and he even took a snap, seemed kind of uh, uh, honorary almost at the at the end of uh, seven on sevens, but he was out there. Um, you know, starts starts the new clock, gets him off the old clock, and uh, it is encouraging. Still, um, seeing a lot of the uh, the other guys at, at outside linebacker in the periods that matter. Paul, you mentioned Caleb Farley, another defensive addition that I know fans want to know more about. Uh, what did you see from him today as he continues to get acclimated uh, coming off NFI? So I talked yesterday about a period that they ran that was kind of uh, a rack break where they were trying to sort out. Uh, the offense was, you know, maybe dealing with trips coming off the line and sorting out the jumble and the defense was sorting out the jumble. The quarterbacks weren't even throwing the ball. Today they had uh, kind of two on twos in the red zone, two receivers lined up on one side coming out for a quarterback and the cornerbacks had to sort out, you know, uh, the in-break and the outbreak route. They did not do well at that. And Caleb Farley really did not do well at that. Uh, repeatedly got burned. Um, the cornerbacks were really um, generally chasing the, the receiver that was in-breaking. Um, and four or five times left the outbreaking receiver all alone. Quarterbacks missed him a couple times. But um, it, it was a problematic period. Mike Grable later said there, you know, it was great stuff to get on tape for them to sort out and learn from. And there'll be a a lot better at it, I think he said, when they, when they come out again. But I thought it was really uh, a good sign and kind of, uh, you know, we could plot the education of Caleb Farley. Came out of that period. They went to a special teams period. He's not going to be a special teamer on this team. And he stayed there with Anthony Midget, the cornerback coach, Scott Booker, um, the safeties coach. They were both acting as receivers, doing the same things, kind of in s- slow motion, slow jog. Uh, Shane Bowen was there, the defensive coordinator. And at first, Kevin Byard was playing the other corner spot. And then Jack Rabbit Jenkins was playing the other corner spot. And they were basically redoing the drill, um, talking Caleb Farley through what he needed to be doing in order to, uh, to, to make the right read and communicate the right way with the person that he would be paired with in order to come out of this correctly and have a chance at covering uh, – covering one of the two wide receivers and splitting up the duties with the other guy. So, um, you know, education of Caleb Farley goes on. We spoke to him afterwards. He, he you know, expressed frustration at, at his lack of being on top of the mental game out of that scenario. Then later on, boys, in uh, seven on seven against Cam Batson with the Logan Woodside throw in the middle of the field, he came, uh, broke on the ball really nicely, came and knocked it down. But I think he hit it here you know and i said to the guys i was watching with you know that's a great breakup but he's got to intercept the ball that he can knock down with his armpit yes um and sure enough when we talked to him he said i gotta pick that i gotta pick that i gotta pick that you know he, he was not happy with the breakup at all he was pissed off that he didn't pick it off youtube chat has been very good today and you can subscribe and uh, get that alert outkick 360 on youtube where Christian writes, what happened with Vrabel and Rappaport today, Paul? Can you report anything on something that happened with those two? Uh, yeah, I mean, people will make a federal issue out of it. I think uh, my understanding is Lawan came out and he was basically shooting the bull with Rappaport a little bit and Vrabel saw it and gave Rappaport the business about talking to a player during practice. Um, and, you know, it's not anything beyond... What would happen if, you know, 
hell, it could have easily been me if I was over there getting a drink of water and Luan came out and started chit-chatting like he's prone to do maybe in a moment like that when he's not uh, on his way over to, to uh, go watch a piece of practice or he might have been on his way over to get on a, a bike or, or something. Um, I don't think it was a federal event by anything. Rappaport told me about it when I was over later and said something about uh, Vrabel yelling at him and told me that story. And I said, uh, he yells at the people he likes the most, I know from personal experience. Why, um, uh, this is what jumps out to me. Why is he not yelling at Taylor Lewan about that? <laughs> Taylor Lewan works for him, and he's his player. Uh, Rappaport does not. That's not a Rappaport problem if his player is violating team policy by talking to a reporter during practice. I would think that Taylor Lewan would get his inside later. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I, I, this, is, uh, this is not a federal offense, yeah. but I'm getting really tired of Deion Sanders and Jason Garrett saying, call me coach, and then coaches feeling the need to go off on reporters about everything. They're taking role with Sutton people, talking about how many times they've been there and whether or not they can ask a question because they haven't been there enough. And now you know, Mike Vrabel's yelling at Ian Rappaport? Well, he didn't tell somebody not to ask a question. He was just playfully making fun of him. It was playful banter. But uh, I, I should point out now, I, I'm putting this together, later, uh, was it McGinnis who was here um, also for NFL Network? Uh, he was having a conversation with... Um, Jayon Brown, I want to say, um, kind of up, you know, there are these, these little alleyways between the practice fields. And McGinnis was up, up a little bit in territory that we would never be allowed in over here and um, where it shouldn't be. And he was talking to Jayon Brown and one of the PR people sprinted over there and, uh, and broke that up. So I don't know if the rule is different for Ian Rappaport versus a guy who played with Vrabel. But uh, that is the interesting distinction. Uh, that conversation was stopped by uh, a media relations person. Paul, one, one wide receiver care. returns to practice. Another uh, left practice early. Um, tell us about Josh Reynolds being back. I saw your tweet. And then also Cody Hollister being carted off. Yeah, I'll go Hollister first. Uh, play over the middle, I couldn't really tell what happened, but uh, the end of it was not good, and he was down on the ground holding. It could have been his knee. I think it was his ankle. Uh, you know, for a time there, I thought it was really bad. It was encouraging that he put a little bit of weight on it as he went to the cart, so he didn't, uh, didn't need the double support from guys on either side of him while he went to the cart. But I... Excuse me, I don't expect good news out of that. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go on IR tomorrow. Uh, hopefully not for his sake. Um, he's at the at the back end of the receiver group anyway, not to be dismissive of a, of a guy being hurt. Um, Josh Reynolds was back out. Uh, no, I didn't notice him uh, again, but it's encouraging that he is uh, out and doing things. Uh, didn't notice that he was in the team period. And I think most of these guys, Jonathan, coming back are not, um, you know, yeah, are all right. going to be eased in. It's going to be a rarity to see a guy yeah. jump yeah. back in until you're in a game week where a guy absolutely has to have some reps. A couple other guys, Autry um, dropped out over the course of, of this practice. Um, I think Nate Davis disappeared during the course of this practice. Um, ben Jones didn't participate. Tyson Brilo. Uh, Julio Jones, Paul Adams, Morris, Kuhn, Swaim, and Rice was not a part of this practice today. No sign of Julio, right? Like you haven't seen him in a couple days. I haven't, haven't, see, haven't seen him around. He's not, uh, he's not doing the Luan Henry light, uh, you know, uh, lingering around thing. And that's not uncommon. Most of the time, if you're out, you're out and you're inside. Vrabel doesn't believe in um, mental reps. And only a guy like Henry or Lawan, who does a little bit of individual, and then maybe you know participates a little bit in a in a lesser drill at the start of, of practice, is then kind of partially seen during the rest of it. Matt Barkley much better than Deshaun Kaiser just on day one observations. Uh, no, he didn't really see anything. He worked with uh, Pat O'Hara. Uh, individually during some of the special team stuff where he was working on spot throws and kind of talking. You could tell they were talking about language 
and what do we do here? Oh, we throw over there and everything. But I don't, uh, I, I don't think you could lend the comparison. Uh, we talked to some of the, uh, we talked to the offensive assistants today. So O'Hara, you know, spoke uh, optimistically about him, but said, you know, he spoke to him for the first time yesterday, and and they've got to go through all of the uh, basic introductory stuff about playbook language and systems, but uh, is encouraged because he ran. Uh, a version of this system somewhere three years ago. Matt Barkley's been around, um, so I couldn't even tell you where that system was. But I was surprised when I looked at his list. It's like, uh, and that's six or seven teams deep. It's pretty well traveled. What uh, What did Tano have to say about pushing the envelope? I know that that's a story you're working on. Yeah, well, he was asked today. I think a, a lot of people might be going this direction. That that whole thing about you know do some of the interceptions from Tannehill come out of making some throws that you wouldn't necessarily make um, in a game? And and he said, yeah, you know, sometimes you 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 push the envelope and try some things that you necessarily wouldn't try. But it, it's pretty quick where you're you're pulling it back to things that you would do within reason in, in a game situation. You don't want to be overextending kind of what you would, what you would try kind of the undertone to that to me Hutt, was this idea that like, uh, why, why mess around uh, with, with valuable snaps um, by, by testing the envelope in a way that you're not going to test the envelope in a game. So, uh, the, the, what I took from it was a little for a little while, but not a lot for very long. Um, and I thought that was telling. And Vrabel kind of emphasized that, too. Like, we're not going to do a heck of a lot out here that we're not going to be trying to do. And we need to find that line pretty, pretty quickly. That was kind of the gist of what I got from them. And I'm not surprised by that. That kind of fits their MO, don't you think? Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. Um... I'm glancing through just what others have tweeted out, and, and you can you can uh, confirm some of this. Racy McM- did Racy McMath have a much better day today? He I think uh, Teron said that he resurfaced. Can you put that into context if you if you observed him? Also, also Ferkser. Ferkser was on the timeline quite a bit today, just by, based on his practice. Both both made some plays. Uh, there was one very good Ferkser catch. Um, that, that some people counted as, as the play of the day. And uh, I did notice Racy McMath more than I have. He'd kind of gone uh, a little bit AWOL, I, I think. Um, so um, that's, that's a good sign from him. I asked Tannehill specifically about Marcus Johnson, who the guy, I, I think the consensus out here is that he's the guy that is at the head of the group beyond top three. And uh, Tannehill really spoke fondly of him you know saying taking advantage of the opportunity doing everything that we ask and eager to see what he could do given more chances and in bigger settings so i think things are really stacking up nicely for marcus johnson uh provided that he doesn't you know drop off or disappear and these other guys have taken their turns dropping off and disappearing but math amongst them des fitzpatrick pretty quiet nick westbrook akina today we had a little bit of a debate with his biggest supporter joe rex wrote as to whether a pass was dropped or broken up um and uh, pretty much everybody but joe thought it was dropped uh, so uh yeah there's there's a big apologetic piece coming from joe if uh westbrook akina doesn't make this team and i would say right now he's destined for the practice squad based on the crowd in in front of him and I don't know. I mean, look, it's still they haven't played in a game, right? And it's what seven or eight practices, maybe. But right, um, eight, I think. I, I don't see the pressure for seven wide receivers if 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 Marcus Johnson say could be. I mean, I'm sorry if Chester Rogers could be your punt returner, um, and and if Racy McMath makes it as a gunner, you could still be at at six with a seventh on the practice squad if somebody else is making a case at a defensive back spot or even at a linebacker spot for a, um, a special teams slot. Well, and, and just going to the punt return battle, um, Amani Hooker getting some reps there along with the, the usual three with, you mentioned Chester Rogers, Kinsey, and also Batson. Batson, yeah. I just can't see somebody with the value of Amani Hooker 
uh, holding that job like full time. I, I think if you're struggling with the guy that gets the job and you need somebody that can guarantee make you a catch, then Amani Hooker, who's a very reliable player, who I would think you could put back there and know that he's going to feel the ball with a reliable fair catch or make a, make a good um, assessment of a bouncing ball. I could see using him in those circumstances, but that would mean you really don't have a lot of faith in your main guy. And I really want them to come out of this with faith in, uh, you know, I've made the case for Chester Rogers. I need to see him do it in, in some preseason games, but he or Batson or Kinsey, I, I would hope have the faith where you don't need to throw uh, Amani Hooker back there, or you would be throwing Amani Hooker back there or somebody like that only in an instance where your lead punt returner gets hurt. Um, in some cases, it's not if they miss a kick, it's how they miss a kick. So when, whenever I read that the kickers both missed one, were they, were they bad misses? We're, we're, we're trying to put this into context on a daily basis for the kicking battle. No, it was a good day. It, okay. it was a good day. Uh, Ficken missed, what did they kick, six each. Um, from varying distances, they made them all except thick and missed one from uh, I think in the forty range, and then in two minute drill, um, in two minute drill, Tucker McCann had a fifty three yarder, uh, and he missed it. Uh, you know, it was a fast paced kick um, that's that's makeable that he missed. I, I don't right now. I'm not even remembering exactly how he missed it, but it wasn't terrible or anything. It was a missed fifty three yard kick. That's a positive. That's a positive. Um, also, and if you mentioned this earlier, I, I just didn't hear it in my ear. Um, Harold Landry returned. We, we, we discussed Dupree. How did Landry look? Hey, Dwight, was Harold Landry back out there today? I'm not positive. From a, from a composite uh, thing through USA Today that says Harold Landry returned. Yeah, I think I saw him, but honestly, then okay. when I ran down that list of injuries, I didn't write it down. I did talk to Dupree about uh, the kind of chemistry that he needs with Landry, you know, because you're far away from that other pass rusher, but you need to be in sync with him. And he talked a lot about, uh, you know, if he's doing a certain move over on that side, I, I need to know about it and be doing something different for lack of a better word we need to be coordinated in terms of what we're doing with each other on opposite ends of the rush like if we're arriving at the quarterback ideally arriving at the quarterback together as well as with the guys next to us and i i think that's something that's going to take some time uh obviously because dupree's not going to be out there working with landry very much you know they're working on individual stuff right now which doesn't do anything to get them in sync together um, and those are things that aren't going to come probably till late in this camp when they would actually be in a team period together because that's not coming soon for Dupree. Paul, back-to-back -back nights for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You are a Pro Football Hall of Fame selector. Peyton Manning will, will give an excellent speech. We have no doubt there. Uh, Tom Brady's going to be in attendance. I, I mentioned earlier with Chad, it, it, it's hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that there's a one-year difference in age. Peyton's 45. Brady's now 44. And Brady will sit and watch Manning go into the Pro Football Hall of Fame and deliver his speech coming off of another Super Bowl at 44. Like, it's just, it's hard to, to wrap my head around the fact that Brady's sitting out there as a player, as Manning has been removed for five years and goes into the Hall. Yeah, and they'll be inducted how far apart? I mean, uh, at least six know, years. You're going to have two more years, uh, seven years probably. Um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I didn't watch much of the game last night. I am not one of these people that's like, hey, football is back and talking about it like it's regular season football, like way too many people do. But the reason I watched that telecast last night was the parade of guys coming through the booth. And I did yeah. catch Peyton in there. It's so good. I mean, it's just so good. Um, and I'll be flipping around tonight, too. I want to see what the Yanks are doing. Um, I, I want to see uh, the Olympic stuff. But uh, I, I will be flipping over there to catch the best in speeches. And I certainly want to see Peyton's start to finish because, you know, it's going to be something special and something excellent. And that nobody else tonight, uh, everybody's playing for second place. And second place <laughs> is pro it's probably not two people uh, breaking, the, you know, somebody 
catching up and, and catching a piece of the tape for Peyton Manning. Uh, it's probably a fight for second and third, silver and bronze. So it, it'll be interesting to see who else is good when you know that Peyton's going to be fantastic. And I'm looking forward to it. If you guys haven't read it, and there are people out there, if you have a subscription to The Athletic, Bob Kravitz, a uh, friend of the show who um, writes now for The Athletic, but was a longtime columnist for the Indianapolis Star, uh, you know, had a special relationship with Peyton Manning as the sports columnist in Indianapolis. There really wasn't a second. Um, and he gives some great Peyton Manning stuff just about their, their relationship and, and then him supporting the Andrew Luck drafting at the end and how it went a little south for a little while. And it was a really good read. I, I highly recommend it. By the way, Josh Allen with the Bills getting a monster contract. We, we had discussed that a couple of weeks ago on the, the three quarterbacks and, and how they would, uh, if one would wait, if Lamar Jackson's going to wait on Josh Allen. Josh Allen now, I think it's $150 million guaranteed, uh, a little over 250 total, um, and it goes for six years, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, six years. So, um, I, you know, yeah. Some of these contracts are very wishful, hopeful with guys at his stage. This one is not. This one is they found their guy. Six years, two hundred fifty-eight million extension, one hundred fifty guaranteed. Uh, Forty—that's forty-three million per year. So it's a massive contract for Josh Allen, but it also means big bucks. Even if it's less, it's going to be big bucks for the other quarterbacks coming down the pike. Uh, Lamar Jackson, uh, one of those who, by the way, came off COVID nineteen uh, their list, so he's about to return to Ravens practice. Paul, I will see you tomorrow morning at Titans practice, and then we'll recap everything on Monday and uh, have a big unveil as well as we do the Titans news and notes on Monday. Looking forward to it. I look forward to it. Uh, Assistant defensive coaches are talking as early as 845 if you want to come for all the fun. Oh, cool. Good. Hey, by the way, Landry was individual only. I just got confirmation on that. So at least that's great news because Dupree, just watching the videos, just to put a wrap on this, uh, watching the videos that you put out and others, Dupree's doing more than what I expected for day one off PUP, just yeah. with the cuts. Looks and then good. Landry coming back on the same day along with Farley. And I mean, this is great news for a Titans team that needs that defensive jolt from the jump in week one. This is uh, another step in the right direction. Don't know much about Julio Jones yet, but it's a step in the right direction on the defensive side of the injuries through the first week and a half of practice. Boys, have a great weekend, Hut. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't block the box. Do lock the locks. Hey, thank you to Blackbird and Blackbird Academy, uh, John and Martina McBride. Thank you so much. Uh, This is our final show inside Studio G, Nashville, Tennessee. But we will continue to tout the fact that you can go to theblackbirdacademy.com and learn how you can be in the industry. If you know someone that's in love with audio and production and engineering, that's where you go right here is where you go hands-on experience the blackbirdacademy.com for more information on this world-class studio right here in music city we have forever enemies and they make this list right here this i'm actually grabbing because i'm about to pack up because we're taking where we're going next um blackbird john mcbride martina mcbride alan misha yeah everyone at blackbird studios forever friends forever friends of, uh, of our show, and we thank you so much. Thank you, Blackbird. New chapter for us on Monday's new studio unveil on Monday. Join us noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, across the Outkick Network.